This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Wild Tales podcast. I'm Jason Fox, and this series is all about adventure, resilience, and inspirational humans. The podcast is presented by The Book of Man and in partnership with Talisker, the single malt whiskey made by the sea. My guest today is Richard Browning, a British inventor who has been dubbed the real-life Iron Man because of his quite incredible jet suit, which has allowed him to, well, fly around like Iron Man. Utilising gas turbines on his arms and a light exoskeleton suit, he has thrilled people around the world. And with his company Gravity, they are developing new technologies to make Richard's dreams of human flight a reality. I spoke to him about his amazing work and an early tragedy in his life which spurred on his career. In the episode, we answer some questions that you've asked me on Instagram. I'm going to be sending a bottle of Talisker to the top question. In addition, Malts.com are offering a 10% off promo code Talisker15DE, redeemable at checkout on www.malts.com until the 1st of October 2020. Discount may only be used once for individual Talisker Distillers edition products for sale at £100 or less. No minimum spend, but a delivery charge may apply. Not to be used in conjunction with any other offer and gift card purchases are excluded. 18 plus and subject to malts.com terms of sale. Anyway, here we go. I hope you enjoy it. Richard, welcome. Um, by way of introduction, everyone, I've, I know you've already got the intro from me, but I'd like to do it in person now that Richard's with us. The man, the myth. I mean, what you've done... over over the years is just incredible and just to put that into perspective or at least like paint a picture for some people there I think the first time I ever saw I'd heard about what you'd done but the first time I ever saw it properly was I think a couple of years ago at Silverstone just before the beginning of the um, endurance championship and uh, I was stood with a mate actually I was in the I'd served with in the SBS and he's from up north and I, I wish I'd filmed his face as he was watching you flying up and down the grid at just before the off because it was a picture but to say he was gobsmacked was like it literally he was at oh my god this is the future what is this but uh mate it is an unbelievable thing but let, we might as well jump straight in there and can you tell us about the the, the jet suit yeah, thanks for the uh, thanks for the intro. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's great that you saw it more recently. Um, you know that uh, water park, uh, so you, you know you can yeah. see it's come on quite a long way. Um, yeah, so uh, what I mean uh, for people who aren't familiar with this, if you imagine a uh, essentially it's like a jetpack, but actually much more intimate to you. You're wearing this rather than strapped to a great big kind of box. So you've got a couple of little engines, kind of coffee jar size, either side of each arm. So the net thrust feels like it's going up your arm. And then around the back, you've got a slightly larger engine, about the same power as a pair of engines um, on your back. And either side of that is a fuel tank. And so the whole thing is, it's not dissimilar to wearing a kind of light fighting order types sort of rig. Um, and it weighs, I mean, when it's fueled up, only about 30 kilos or so. But the whole thing puts out around 1,000 horsepower of jet thrust. 
which means that when you point your arms down, you go up. And then all the rest of the maneuverability almost um, doesn't look like it should work, but it does. And we've trained people like within a morning to do this. Um, all the rest is as intuitive as riding a bicycle. You literally just kind of point your arms the sort of opposite direction to where you want to go. And then, yeah, it, it sort of does feel like you're in a dream of, you know, that dream of flying that some people have. But where the hell did you start? Like, because obviously I've, I've, I've come and seen it up close and reasonably personal. Obviously, COVID aside, we were socially distanced and whatnot. But you can, like, where do you learn to sort of like, there's pipes and tubes everywhere. And like, I love all this stuff. But also at the same time, I don't understand it. And I think that's where the love is because it's just like bewildering. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, as with a lot of things, the the outcome looks very complicated. Actually, honestly, when you dig underneath it, you know, as with most things, when you when you've spent some time with it, the individual constituent parts aren't that complex. The clever bit, which we're not responsible for, is how good the human brain is at balancing. You know, when you really think about what has to go on in your head to run without falling over an uneven field the amount of micro decisions and balancing and you know actuating of tiny muscles to stop you falling over it's phenomenal whereas what we're doing is a really quite static stable kind of vector thrust hover but um to to kind of answer your question kind of more fully you know the the uh, and i've only this is all only dawned on me over the last few years as we've, uh, we've been growing this um in answering actually interview questions um my whole family background was from the world of aviation and engineering um so i kind of had it in the blood um, but then if I'm honest and I'm not just saying this because of who you are and your background, uh, my time with the RMR, my time with the Royal Marines and what that taught me about what you can achieve with your mind and body when you really keep persevering and <laughs> banging your head against a brick wall with the challenge. It is amazing how you can get your you know, human being to do some pretty amazing things. So I thought inspired by that and the time I used to spend doing ultra marathons and calisthenics training and stuff, I thought that it isn't quite so ludicrous to support your own body weight with your arms, with a bit of thrust on your back. I mean, originally I had it on the back of my legs. I thought that you could learn to balance and coordinate that. And so it was just a question, you know, it's a simple question, but um, just a question of trying to add the horsepower to that mind and body and then just have a load of fun as safely as possible, trying to learn how to stick the two together and do it in a way that would almost emulate a bicycle. It doesn't sound very sexy, but a bicycle when you really take a moment to think is an amazing thing that, that doesn't do much by itself. But when you stick it, together with a human look at the outcome i mean it's nuts um and it's all down to kind of a partnership between the technology of a bike and what the brain and the body can do and so in the same kind of way i thought why can't we try and achieve the same thing but from a flying point of view so yeah hopefully that justifies it in some way i mean how how long has this been how long has it been i mean it's obviously been a dream for a long long time because these things don't just happen but how long has it actually been a reality you know you've actually had jet engines whether they were on your legs or whether they were just taking you up a couple of inches how long has that you know the heart the, the sort of hardware been around and how long have you been developing it yeah so it started in march 2016 i was still working in the city of london with bp as an oil trader uh, and i just i'd sketched lots of ideas on you know usually on airplanes on flights to places and stuff and i thought you know what i've just got to get off the drawing board and start making this real so I got hold of a little jet engine, which is no mean feat in itself. It's not an easy thing to get hold of and certainly learning to use it and understand how to start it and all that kind of stuff. That, that took a little while. Uh, but I got this little, little you know, coffee jar sized engine. And then there is uh, lots of clips online. I mean, there's the original TED talk I did back in 2017. You can see these clips, but also at our YouTube at Gravity Industries and stuff. Um, you can see I was just standing in a country lane with this engine strapped to my arm in an aluminium tube. 
with a fuel tank sitting in a mop bucket and I was just messing, kind of work, working out how to control it. And it was really phenomenal. You could just feel this immense power, like 22 kilos of thrust coming out of this coffee jar thing. They make a horrendous noise, as you know. Um, but actually, if you close your eyes and ignore the noise, um, it actually felt quite kind of spongy and, and kind of, fr not friendly, it's the wrong word, but it felt quite controllable. It wasn't trying to rip my arm off. It was just this spongy yeah. push. Like you'd imagine holding a fire hose, well, I haven't held a fire hose, but like you imagine holding a fire hose, it was just the same kind of aggressive, but actually controllable push. And so I thought, actually, if I keep evolving this and just add more in the right places, this in theory can work. And so by November that same year, I'd managed to do the first wobbly flight across this farmyard with an engine on the back of each leg and so on each arm. So only around that, what is it, about eight months or so, um, but that's where it started. And then since then it's just kind of evolved, cra you know, crazily. But yeah, so since 2016 is really when I first started playing with it and, um, and properly coherently flying really as of 2017, I would say. So not that long, really. We've come a long way. I'm, I'd like to think. But has, has there been, um, been any near misses, close calls? You, you stacked it into a hedge at all? <laughs> yes. Yes. A lot. Um, and we've shared quite a few of these fails. Uh, our ethos is uh, one of not being afraid to take on risk, but as long as if the risk manifests, it's recoverable. You know, I don't mind falling over and possibly worst case breaking a limb. To be clear, I've not done this, but anything worse yeah. than that that you can't recover from, I'm not really up for it. Again, you know, your, your days of doing some pretty crazy training close to reality. You know, there's no point in training where you possibly quite regularly could do permanent injury to yourself. I know it happens in training sometimes, but you've got to try and get that balance right. And uh, yeah, I must have fallen over probably a dozen times. And actually, and I'll share this one with you. Um, I'm not sure when people are going to be hearing this, uh, you know, our conversation here. But um, only about two weeks ago, we were flying to Bears Island, as in Bear Grylls. We do quite a lot of stuff with him. And we flew to his island and it was great. And I chased him around on the jet ski. Uh, he was on the jet ski. I was on the jet suit. It was a horrendous, windy, wet, gusty, horrible, stormy day. And I was quite eager to then make the flight back from his island. It's about a mile offshore. And I, I screwed it up. I, I, I was holding about 60 miles an hour, about probably three meters above the water. And I saw this huge cliff coming towards me, which I was expecting. Car parked at the top of it. It's about 400 feet, I reckon. But it was going to be fine because the cliff was not sheer. It was a kind of gorsy cliff. So it actually kind of catch yeah, you okay. Yeah, yeah. But the bottom, the bottom 30 feet was all kind of sloping rock. And I just screwed it up. I didn't, ca I didn't calculate enough in my brain there was me bigging up human brains and everything. Were, I had too much of a tailwind. So as I started pulling up, I just realized, oh shit, I've still got too much forward speed and I just stacked it into the cliff. Um, <laughs> we haven't shared it with people yet because we need the bear clip film <laughs> to go out first. And, uh, oh, look how successful that was. I'll be very open here. Um, we will then enjoy later on the shot on the 360 camera of me just literally smacking into this cliff. I was doing 60 miles an hour and in about two seconds shed all but about 10 miles an hour of it, which is still a fair speed to hit a piece of granite. Um, yeah, I hit the cliff and then rolled down the cliff, was caught on a little ledge. I mean, it was sloping, like I say, but it, I didn't end up in the sea, which would have been annoying. Um, and uh, yeah, it was all right. My knees are a bit bruised, but I did about 20k earlier today and they still seem to work. So that's all right. But yeah, that was probably at the upper end of like, oh crap, I really should have got that right. But it's an inevitable part of, you know, learning. I've now learned to pay closer attention to the tailwinds. Um, so yeah, uh, it does happen. It's all part of learning. Yeah, well, that's like, that's a pretty... I mean, most, that's mental. Most people would be like, oh, yeah, I, I stacked it into a cliff and, oh, yeah, I, you know, I'm pretty much injured for eternity. But, mate, yeah, I, I, I think as you get older, are you sure you've noticed this as well? Yeah, it does take longer to recover. And, and I, I think I've had three falls over lockdown um, and, and I've just ta it's taken longer to heal. But all of them have been, I've got away with it all right. I seem to still have in my brain how to fall. 
I still seem to fall okay. So as long as that keeps up, and, and I, I need to try and try and reduce the number of times I keep learning in this manner. But generally, I mean, I've got seven other pilots in the team, and you know, everybody's fallen over from a few feet onto grass, and it's annoying. And often, you do more damage to the equipment than anybody else. No one's ever done any permanent damage themselves, and that's one of the reasons why we don't fly really high because you know you encounter yeah. something you weren't expecting, and you fall from a hundred feet onto anything, and you're going to be in real trouble. So we just don't yeah. do that. I don't suppose there's any requirement to go too high, is there? Because I mean, what's up there? Tom, absolutely spot on. Most people say, oh, how high can you go? And, you know, technically uh, we could go hundreds of feet, probably even thousands of feet. And the fact there was an incident recently in the news about a supposed jetpack sighting uh, on the approach into L.A. airport. And I got lots of media in the U.S. asking me about that. And I said, well, technically we could do that. But we never I think the highest I've been is about 80 feet over water with a wing system that we were testing. And I pulled up too sharp and climbed higher than the usual 30, 40 feet we hold over water. And, you know. I was sort of looking down thinking, yeah, I don't really want to be up here. It's just going to hurt a lot if I have a problem. Um, and you're absolutely right. From a military search and rescue and an entertainment point of view, there's nothing up there. There's no reason to be there. You've just created a load of risk. So, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you do do quite a bit. Of, well, you do a reasonable amount over water, don't you? Because obviously, is that mainly because of the safety aspect to a certain degree? Yeah, like, like the world record we set back in November last year, that was 85 miles an hour. And I mean, that's still going to hurt even hitting the water, you know, even if it's yeah. water hitting it at that speed. But yeah, most of the stuff we do that's aggressive, as in with testing wings, going fast, um, doing something a bit crazy, is ideally over water. It really does a lot of damage to the equipment. It's about 10 grand's worth of damage if you go in. Uh, but, but we wear enough buoyancy that we don't sink, and then we have a water-triggered life jacket to go off as well. So actually, yeah. from a human point of view, you're really, you're really safe. Um, but yeah, you, that, that is safer. Yeah, have you stacked it into the water then? Or has, has anyone... Yeah. Yeah. Any of the oh yeah, yeah no quite quite a bit. Um, I think in total we probably had five or six swimming occasions, and I'm probably responsible for three of those. Um, oh. Yeah, it, it's uh, I had the worst one was um, and it was it was an experimental system with a wing, and uh, luckily I was just pulling up, slowing down, but I was still going quite quick, and I had a wiring problem. <laughs> it's my fault. Um, and the um, arm engine shut down, but the rear didn't. So I basically just upended and then just plowed like a human sort of V v1 flying bomb straight head first into the water um uh that, 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 i mean but i mean but i mean it's water right i mean it's like that you see youtube clips of, of young folks jumping off ridiculous things and i wouldn't condone that but they you know most of the time survive <laughs> a lot higher yeah. an awful lot higher than i'm jumping in with or falling in with all the protection on so yeah it's not it's not ideal falling in the water jet engines don't like water did you um I mean, a lot of these stories do, it does sort of remind me slightly of watching um, Robert Downey Jr. in well, the Iron Man film. Is that, is that, was there some inspiration taken from that or not really? And it, it's just coincided. Yeah, no. So I absolutely honestly didn't set out to go and build an Iron Man suit. I can't deny that when we got the first one to fly, it started to dawn on me that the, the, the handful of people who came to see it before we launched all, all went, oh my God, it looks like an Iron Man suit. And I was thinking, well, oh, okay, well, maybe we can use that, but we'll be subtle about it. I'm not going to go and dress up in a load of gold and red plastic, but actually it's really powerful for other people who see it to often, I don't know what you thought when you first saw it, but a lot of people, their first reference point they have is, you know, Rocket Man, Iron Man, the Jetsons or something, some kind of usually make-believe character that was flying. And actually, that's quite cool because usually people are quite inspired by turning science fiction into reality. But uh, but on the on the Iron Man thing, uh, we had this ridiculous privilege. It was about six months after we launched back in 2017. 
we were contacted by the CGI team, the, you know, the computer graphics guys behind Iron Man 1. Um, they reached out and said they agonized over all those scenes when Tony Stark is kind of trying to learn to fly in his, in his fancy garage and smashing into all his cars and, and that funny robot yeah. is spray, spraying CO2 all over him. Um, all of those scenes, uh, they had to guess what it would be like. And there's a moment where he kind of straightens up and kind of owns it and sort of gets it. Well, if you watch any of the clips of any of the any people learning to do this, even my 13-year-old from last week, he's nearly at that stage. Um, everybody does the same thing. There's this bit where you're frankly being bullied by it. And then there's a moment where you get your weight over the top of it and your brain just clicks in like a kid learning to ride a bike. And they just it just all goes calm and smooth. So, so they were so excited when they came and saw it because they were like, oh my God, this like validates what we're trying to guess at. Um, so we, we yeah. love that because that, that was a lovely marriage of science fiction with you know what we've built um so that was fun what um so can you explain to people as well because i remember we spoke about this very briefly because you know you were busy and you know it was, people people were busy but i was trying to get it like you're you're operating some machinery in in what like a fighter pilot it's four dimensional isn't it it's not like you're on the road and you just got to concentrate on what's on that level playing field with you you've got to think about above, below, behind, in front, it is it is very much more four-dimensional. Yeah, I think there's Sorry? five because I and I think there's five dimensions because I think it's rotation as well oh. as the other one. Uh, I may, uh, yeah, I think it's five. I think well. it's five axes or whatever. But look, it, but it, that all sounds very complicated. But then think what has to go on in a gymnast brain when they're doing triple backflips down a runway, or a BMX jumper, or you know somebody jumping a BMX, or somebody trying to do something on a skateboard. They, they got all the same problem, but vastly less time to think about it. Whereas actually nothing happens particularly quickly compared to that with, a, you know, when you're flying. I mean, yes, it's quick and nimble, as you've seen, but you're fundamentally stable. You're, you're honestly, I mean, you'll, you'll have to come and have a go with it. it it's, it's very hard to describe. Again, if yeah. you, looking at a bicycle, if, if, if you've never seen a bicycle and I held it up in front of you and then dropped it on the floor, you'd look at it and go, that must take years to learn to do anything with. But your brain just kind of rewires quickly and goes, oh, shit, I've got this. This is actually a bit easier than walking. Um, so in the same way, we've seen that now with over 50 clients that have learned to fly with us. It's really hard to describe that believably, but that seems to happen. But then again, you are missing out birds. Have you ever had any incidents? <laughs> um, there was a, we were doing some wing testing, uh, actually no, it was endurance testing down at this lake that you see a lot on our social media. It's a long skinny lake down here in Wiltshire. And uh, there was a yeah. swan gradually taken off down the lake and I thought oh, that would be kind of fun. And I was, I was hammering along at 40, 50 miles an hour and it was coming towards me and I thought, well, I'll just gradually turn to the right and it turned to the left. And I was thinking, ah, oh, crap. So then I t it was a sort of comedy moment where I was turning the other way and we were gradually running out of time to decide on which way bit like parachutists going towards each other we you didn't have the agreed everybody turn left and then it works um and they the clip i think I, I think we posted that it's one of those things where it doesn't look very close on the clip but actually it was only about two meters to my side and that was insane because by the time it had got up it must have been doing probably 40 miles an hour i was doing easily 40 or 50 and that felt like a big piece of bird going past me the other way so no we haven't had a bird strike but we nearly nearly did then um yeah that, that's to be avoided i think that would hurt <laughs> You need, yeah, you need to start looking at that uh, Iron Man armor, red and gold, <laughs> protect you from yeah. any, any flying pigeons. Yeah. Um, what, um, what does it run on? The preference is jet fuel, but actually, to most people's surprise, it'll also run on road diesel. 
uh, road diesel and jet fuel are very similar and diesel's just dirtier so if you shut down you get a big puff of blue smoke other than that they're really not very different um, so actually it's nice to know that you haven't got two big sacks of gasoline or something terrifying on your back you know the diesel is really hard to set fire to and if it does set fire to itself I mean if you do set fire to it it's a very lazy slow flame for quite a while so we've yeah. never touched wood you know in four years ever had any kind of heat or fire issue with this which is quite a surprise to people always seem to think I'm going to burst into flames at any moment. <laughs> what are the um, what sort of innovations have you have you put onto it, like modifications that have now? Because I suppose the way I see it now, and seeing you, are you sort of getting to the point where it is ref it's a refined bit of technology? Kind of. The uh, what well, we with the one you saw us fly, and the ones that are all in the background there, we call them the Mark two suit because uh, the mark one was the one with the um uh, two little rear engines that sat on my legs and then they, they did gradually make their way up my up my legs but um anyway um th this this is the mark two suit there is something sitting i can't show it on camera at the moment but there's something sitting just to my side which i was just messing around with before we we dialed in um which is the mark three suit um i am so excited by this because to answer your question what we fly at the moment is going to look completely terrible compared to what we've now got sitting on the table I, I believe for a while that because what we do is so new and different, it would suggest that having cracked at least stage one, that there's many more stages to go that can get exponentially, well, not quite exponentially, but extremely rapidly better. You know, it's like if you build the very first motor car, you know, they were terrible and unreliable and whatever. And look at the journey they've been on, right? I mean, they barely ever break down and all that sort of stuff. So the Mark III suit there is, is going to seem like I'm making these numbers up. The current one stakes takes about 45 seconds to start up. If you remember, you know, it's a sort of quite, yeah. quite dramatic, gradual wind up. But you do stand there like a lemon for what seems a little while waiting for them all to warm up. Um, although still 45 seconds is way quicker than any other aircraft takes to kind of warm up. The one sitting on the desk over there is 10 seconds. So you could be having a conversation like this. I could be wearing the suit and you could say, right, I'm going to go and relocate myself to that, you know, building top. And 10 seconds start up, step off, land on it, shut down, and then we carry on chatting. It's kind of ridiculous. It also, for something that weighs the same weight as this other, this system here, or system in the back, um, it put, develops another 20 kilos of thrust. So you can carry a 20 kilo heavier person or 20 kilos more fuel or 20 kilos of equipment or whatever you choose. Um, so that's a huge yeah. win. Um, and the whole thing, rather than having the electronics which sort of creep around your sides a bit, which was handy in the early days because you could look down and even kind of sort some problems out and change batteries yourself and stuff. Um, we've tucked all of that away. That's all gone. It's all shrunk down to virtually nothing hidden in the suit. So you've literally got what looked like a, looked like a sort of day bag, day backpack kind of thing, very small, smaller than the current one, and two little arm mounts. And that allows you to fly for longer, further, faster, and quicker and everything. So... So yeah, it, I, we, we're gonna have to reveal that hopefully in the next uh, few weeks or so. But um, yeah, there's plenty more to come, and I haven't even mentioned the wing system as well. Wow, that's <clears throat> that's awesome. What's going on with the? Um, so you mentioned clients earlier. Who do you, who do you sort of usually have as clients if you can talk about it? Yeah, we have. Uh, I mean, we have about fifty people a day contact us asking to do flight training, and I mean, it's not cheap. Um, so you know, some then are a bit surprised how much it costs, and it's only that because otherwise we'd spend all the time training people, and uh, it's quite expensive equipment to put together and stuff. So, uh, so anyway, um, uh, they tend to be business kind of leaders, entrepreneurs, business owners, people with a you know a decent bit of money. Maybe they. Uh, you know, climb mountains, do extreme skiing, uh, motor racing. I don't know. They, they want a bit of a rush doing something kind of fun and exciting. Um, not that this has to be particularly physically difficult now at all. 
we've had several men and women in their 70s come and do this and do brilliant at it um if you if you listen to the instructions you can literally do it within about 10 minutes um uh, we've had quite a few people do that otherwise some people do just wrestle it for a while but again a bit like watching different children learn to ride a bike some people take many days to learn other people pick it up straight away but yeah a cross-section of of men and women from all over the world really um some quite famous people as well have come and done uh, you know come and done it with us either here we have another set up in la in camarillo, camarillo airport there's a private jet terminal there where we go and borrow some of their apron every now and then obviously that's kind of difficult we haven't done that this year so far um and we've just set up a new training place in goodwood so we've worked with the goodwood um uh, the duke and his son um his son actually flies with us as well he's the heir to the whole goodwood estate thing and uh, if you imagine the festival of speed the fact they used to have spitfires position there they've got all the you know the the revival all the old cars and all the motor racing stuff it's kind of up their street so that's the new best place to go and train and we've got a lot of people lined up to come there but in small covid acceptable groups of course <laughs> oh yeah yeah you know hopefully sometime next year there'll be a lot more people being able to witness the the speed of the jet suit uh mate how did you what was I'm going to go back to the beginning so it makes a little bit more sense. What 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 was your childhood like? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, kind of mixed, um, I'd say. Um, it, it was all going pretty well until I was about 15. Uh, I mean, I was an only child. I went to boarding school when I was about nine because uh, I had a busy kind of entrepreneur, engineer father and a mother that had a big career in the city and stuff. Um, wow. so I went to boarding school, uh, which is kind of cool. I, I was, I, it was tough at the time, but it was kind of, I suppose, character for me. Um, uh, the, the big kind of inevitable shock, which, um, had a big influence on my life, but luckily ended up positive, I suppose, in terms of the direction it pushed me in, uh, was my father. He took his own life when I was 15, which is, um, that business. I, you know, the, the entrepreneur thing I mentioned, I just watched that fall apart and it kind of tore the family apart a bit. Uh, it's one of those kind of shitty things that you either get stronger from or otherwise you let screw you up and I suppose it left me with a sort of what's the worst that can happen ethos to life um, and then I, from that moment onwards just I gra you know grasped every opportunity I could to you know test myself and try and achieve you know interesting stuff um, you know uh, and also it also taught me the value of building a kind of firm financial kind of footing before I go and venture off to do something sort of high risk from a business point of view anyway um, you know something crazy so that's why I spent 16 years earning money in a relatively conventional job and putting that away before I properly tapped the inner kind of entrepreneur, if you like, <laughs> uh, you know, when, when did this, um, I would have been too scared, I think, to do this in my early, you know, in my earlier years. So do you think that this was uh, obviously with the, with the influence that came from being your, your dad's son and then obviously, this was a dream of yours is that right is am i right in thinking that and that you you went out did you did you did you sort of like corporate stuff got yourself into a position and then you were able to sort of follow what what that dream from an early age was yeah kind of. I mean, I, but but i i can't say i i had a dream of building some sort of flying machine or anything i mean i used to fly gliders with my father i used to you know constantly talk to him about aviation -y things i could probably describe how a helicopter works in terms of the swash plate and deflecting the blades and whatever i could probably do that at age 10 or 12 or something just because he was an aeronautical engineer very passionate about building things and i used to you know spend all my childhood around his workshop building and making and breaking things and stuff um i think yeah. it's more that hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. His spirit is very much, was very much one of um, getting probably slightly disproportionately excited about an amazing, crazy engineering idea and imagining what would happen if you managed to make it work. Um, yeah. You know, you imagine what was going through your mind, you know, just daring to imagine getting through selection and just what it might feel like in the achievement or whatever, you know, all of it's the same thing, whether it's running a business or, you know, uh, trying to achieve a marathon or get your ass off the couch and run a 5k park run. You know, it's the same process of daring yourself to take on a challenge that you don't think you can do necessarily. And then hoping every now and then that out of 20 or so attempts at that one or two actually succeed. You know, I think I inherited from him that sort of mindset and in some ways to get a bit kind of self-analytical about it i'm probably in a lot of things i do i'm probably trying to drag a seemingly near impossible idea over the line because i saw my dad try and do that and fail at it and so if i manage to achieve one of those it'll make it all good now whether if that's what's really going on in my head well so be it but it's led me to take on some (laughs) some fun and interesting things that have led me to have a fairly interesting life so far so i'm not really complaining but um, you, yeah, I, I, I think that might be part of it. Yeah. Do you have like a, have you got, where you are now? Are you at home? Yeah. This, this lab is next to my house, which is much better commute than I used to have going to Canary Wharf from here. <laughs> so, you, so you've got like an inventor's workshop where you just like tinker away and uh, I'm trying to imagine something along the lines of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. yeah do you know you know not many people reference that um but you're absolutely spot on that i don't know about you but i i love the beginning of that film it gets a bit creepy it gets a bit creepy with a german guy with all the guys with white coats and the uh (laughs) and then trying to build their own flying car again i I prefer not that analogy but uh (laughs) um but but yeah that that kind of it's the one where he's on that on the on the rails and he's He's yeah. got that rocket pack, hasn't he? <laughs> he's yeah, I think, I think he's Caractacus Potts, I think is the name. Yeah, yeah, that. I mean, yeah, um, or you can go to the Back to the Future crazy guy with the, with the lab coat and the mad ideas. Yeah, in a way, our lab is a little bit like that. I mean, I've got like grass knees hanging from the ceiling. We've got a BB chain gun in the corner there. My whole team, I mean, I'm 41. My whole team are in their mid to early, early 20s. And yeah. we have a huge amount of fun doing what we do. We've got to never, you know, lose sight of the safety side. But... It is honestly a massive privilege and a laugh to be goofing around in here doing all sorts of funny stuff with the technology we've got. Um, so yeah, it is a bit of a, the analogy is, is fairly apt, I would say. Oh, good, I'm glad that you didn't burst my bubble and that, that was how I imagined it is how it is. 
Yeah. So you like, like, I almost want you to have some like a contraption that helps the chicken lay the egg and it brings it to your plate. But anyway, <laughs> moving. Yeah, I, I would say so. To slightly disappoint you, most of the mad stuff in here is flying and jet suit related. If we, if only we had more time, we'd do more things. And I, what I'm about to say is still jet engine related. But I mean, uh, and we put this on social media. We had some jet engines hanging around, and we had an inflatable canoe. Um, and we thought, well, there's an opportunity there. Why don't we see how fast we can make the canoe go? So two of my colleagues um, uh, married those two things together and then there's a, we, we created what we call the jet yak which is a jet engine powered kayak in reality the whole thing just flexed and turned into a bit of a banana and did completely the opposite of getting up on the plane it tried to ram through the plane <laughs> as a result did not go very fast it was quite funny so we've done a lot of silly things like that um, but uh, yeah I, and we have chickens so you may have got my mind thinking now if only I have more time ah, there we go See, I'm, I'm, I'm helping. I'm, I'm helping with the inspiration. Surely. Um, <laughs> yes. So the, I mean, part you know, you've got to be sort of reasonably fit to operate that bit. Of, I know you said you've had a few older people doing it, but they they can't just be frail individuals, can they? You because I'm, I mean, you must pull some G as well if you're putting in some rotations or some turns at speed. So I would say in the early days, the calisthenic stuff I used to do um, that used to get me out of the office, that, that turned out quite useful, being able to manage your own body weight in a variety of seemingly ridiculously awkward kind of positions like holding the flag and stuff, at least gave my shoulders some decent strength in lots of motions, which was very useful in the experimental times. We've now sort of tweaked and tinkered with a lot of things in this to make it as easy as possible. So the arm engine mounts, I can even grab one later if you want, but those arm engine sort of assembly things, there's all sorts of clever little angles in them, which mean as you accelerate, they actually lift themselves roughly into where you need them. So you really are just leaning on them. You're not even having to kind of dumbbell arm raise. Um, so that yeah. really helps. But I, I would say, so for our clients, it's actually quite easy now. Um, instances like hitting the bottom of a 400 foot cliff and then having to walk up it, with the remains of a suit hanging off you when you were already quite knackered um, yeah. and you were going to deliberately fly up it because it was going to be almost impossible to walk all the way up it with all that gear. The moments like that seem very familiar back to the RMR time and where I think, yes, it's a good thing I'm still reasonably fit. Yeah. Um, and film sets and you know what it's like hanging around on TV sets and stuff and being asked to do the same thing 20 times. Um, that, that can get really tiring. Standing around in 30 kilos of gear waiting to just constantly repeat the same flight. Uh, it's those things that get you pretty tiring and yeah racing and flying really fast and in a maneuverable kind of way a bit like you know the difference between picking up a mountain bike on your drive and just pootling around in a circle versus racing a mountain bike um it helps if you're fit light and strong i suppose um yeah in the same kind of way so what do you what's what's your what's your routine running i just run i just did you know i just did 20 k earlier today just because i find that is the best way of chilling my brain out uh, clears yeah. my head a lot um, uh, and I can listen to something just takes my brain away um, it's, it's the closest I'll ever get to meditating or, um, or doing yoga or something um, I used to do all the calisthenic stuff but honestly just hefting this gear around and flying quite often um, is a pretty good decent workout now for me um, I wish I again I had more time uh, to get back into the calisthenics I really should but it's, it's I don't really have any routine now other than that how, how, how do you switch off because i should imagine being a an inventor that your mind races at a million miles an hour trying to think of all these weird and wonderful things to make the suit even better but how do you switch off how do you, how yeah, do you keep off in, on a level playing field mentally my wife is good at helping me do that <laughs> she's very good i mean we've got two 
She, I mean, she, she's very good at grounding me. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, we've, we've got a kind of busy family life. You know, I've got 13 and 12 year old boys. Um, yeah. You know, so so next to this place, you know, is a busy family life. And um, that that's always good just to keep me grounded. And I think if I was, you know, uh, if I didn't have a family like that, I think I'd just constantly spend the whole time in here working on mad things. And then to answer your question, it is just running. That's about the only thing I've ever found that kind of calms my busy brain down. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I find that really. It's the same with you, isn't it? I mean, working out and just, you know, burning off some energy, that's about the only thing that... Yeah, for me, like, definitely the the exercise thing's mega important. I, you know, whether it's whether I get... I actually went for a run for the first time in a while yes, uh, the, other, the other day. You know, I got mega into running during lockdown, actually. You know, sort of... You know, you go through fits yeah. and starts with different types of exercise, and I sort of, like... Because of the lockdown thing, I was like, "Well, I need an, ex- you know, I've got an excuse. The only excuse to go out and do something is to go for a run." So, I got big into it again. Then I sort of like wavered off. We did a bit of work in Australia that not long ago, and you know, we were too busy there to to get amongst anything that, that resembled running, as far as people are concerned. But, but yeah, it's definitely it's like so important for me to be able to go and exercise because as soon as i've done it in in that you know in you, you got the 24 hour period as soon as i've done the exercise i'm like oh, i can just i don't care what else i've got going on i can just chill out really important they've done a lot of science around how it, it, it releases a lot of brain chemicals and does all sorts of stuff i've had some of my best ideas running as well because i'm sort of distracted and then they'll the, the noise quietens down and they'll percolate to the surface and i'll think oh hang on a minute, that's really obvious why didn't i think of that and i'll voice message my team for for my team uh, but, um, yeah. but yeah, I, and especially running in the countryside and just having the visual stimulus of looking at forests and pathways and, you know, fields and stuff. I just love that. Yeah, I, I would really struggle if I couldn't get out and do that. I feel very sorry for the people who during lockdown in some countries were not allowed out of their flats. I don't know how. I guess you can do your own kind of house workout, but I would just go a bit mad, I think. I did. Um, I did. I, I just did two weeks. Or I say just. It was a few weeks ago. I did two weeks quarantine in Australia in a, in a hotel room. And um, I was I was dreading it to be honest because we'd obviously done all our lockdown and all this sort of stuff when we're back home, you know, in, in, when it when it all kicked off. And I was like, I actually got into it. I'm, I was lucky enough to have um, some kit from a gym delivered, so I had a I had a, I had a bike. But I tell you what, it was it. I actually I got into a routine that was that was awesome, and I really it it even though I wasn't allowed out, I still I was still able to keep my sort of sanity in check just from doing a little bit of exercise and sort of allowing myself to sort of like, whilst doing it, like you said, with your running, you sort of like, that's where you come up with some great ideas. And, you know, there was actually some half decent ideas that came out of my head for once because of that, because of that routine I had. But yeah, but that, it, that took, that took you planning that though. Right. I mean, you, you've got to put a lot of discipline and planning into that. Otherwise that would just drive you nuts. I think, I mean, that's hard. Yeah. Well, it was to me like the first couple of days, I suppose you're like, oh, I don't like doing this. I don't like being told what to do at the best of times. I don't know how I made it in the, in the military. And, and then, uh, but once you got into it, I was like, oh no, this is actually, um, no, it's okay. Actually. I'm, I'm like, no one's coming around to pester me. I can just get on with, I can get up in the morning, get, jump on the bike straight away. And then I'm away, you know, doing whatever I need to do in my head. But, um, you'd be quite no, happy yeah. being a bit of a, bit of a hermit then by the sounds of it. That's all right. You sort of yeah, tested yeah. yourself when, out. Yeah. Screw everybody else. <laughs> it, it was coming to the last couple of days we're on day 12 and they sort of like send you some paperwork and they're like congratulations you're going to be leaving in two days and i was like no i was like i'm not going to answer the door just leave me alone <laughs> leave me in here I'm, I'm all good. 
that's actually quite worrying, um, I think. But well, but well done. It's all right. I'm all good now. I got, I, got, I got released and I was happy to be back into society. So everyone. Right. <laughs> but, um, you know, you talk, you, you are in demand because of the, just the uniqueness of what it is that you've created and what you do. But have there been any like absolutely bizarre requests? There must have been. Yeah. Um, yes. I mean, quite a lot. Uh, I mean, one, uh, there was a Japanese company that had built a sushi robot that would make sushi. Um, and they had the great idea that I would dress up as a sushi robot, as a prototype, kind of as a sort of mock-up of it. And I would fly in, land, I think then scuttle behind some hidden thing, some sort of barrier. And then the actual sushi robot would walk out and then make sushi. Uh, we didn't do that one. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> We, oh, it was quite intriguing. I, I wanted to meet the sushi robot. That sounded quite clever. Um, yeah, I, lots of weird things where involved me dressing up as something, um, some weird creature or something like that. I mean, we just had one recently where I had to draw. They wanted, they wanted. Um, there's an Indian god called Lord Hariman or something like that. Forgive me for probably mispronouncing that for people who are. I think it was a Hindu god. And they wanted right. me to um, to dress up as this god and then fly around the theme park as the flying. Lord Harriman, uh, except they wanted me to do this 12 times a day, every day for several months. And I thought even once would be probably not going to work, but that could have been quite funny. Uh, yeah, lots of weird things like that where, you know, we, we've worked quite hard to try and nurture a brand behind all this, which represents, you know, fun, but at the same time, something that's, you know, tries to be fairly sincere. Uh, you know, we are doing a lot with the military and search and rescue. And, you know, I think we've achieved something quite special rather than just a sort of one hit, take the piss YouTube clip, and then we just move on and do something else. There's plenty of those out there. Yeah. So I think we could destroy all that hard work quite quickly if I dressed up as a creature. Maybe we'll do it one but, day. <laughs> but I reckon you could have an awful lot of fun on the 24th of December around the world, like <laughs> winding up kids that are just like, oh my, you literally just get dressed up as Santa Claus and start careering around city, city airscapes. Funded. We have wondered about that. Yes, you could sort of um, have a kind of foam reindeer in front of you or something. And yes, I, I think as we keep growing, then you sort of buy more space to do maybe less sensible things. Do you know what I mean? Um, you know, we, we yeah. launched when we launched in 2017, we launched with a great partnership with Wired, you know, the sort of Wired magazine people and Red yeah. Bull, because um, I thought between those two brands, they represent, you know, kind of cool pioneering technology and the whole Red Bull ethos of going beyond and pushing boundaries. Um, yeah. And that really helped, especially with the British press. They've, they've always been great to us, but I was always very sort of worried of being immediately written off as some lunatic trying to blow himself up in his garage, you know, when we launched. Um, that We're well beyond that, that time now, but you always kind of are slightly sensitive to being written off by the press in that kind of way. But uh, as I, said, I think we're beyond that now. I mean, gosh, we were invited to fly around the Queen Elizabeth aircraft carrier, um, fly, uh, you know, the Farnborough air show. We've done some ludicrous things yeah. that you'd never imagine that we'd be invited to do. So. Yeah, we're probably saw, safe now. I, I think that video um, of you with the, on the Queen Elizabeth, because you but you basically start on the flight deck, don't you? And then you shoot off round another vessel and then come back. Is that that's the one, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we didn't go from the flight flight deck because that would have been a little bit too close to the whole. Oh my God, we're within the sort of flight space of you know they had all the F thirty fives and the um, oh, uh, all the helicopters and stuff. So they had a pontoon at the back where they were receiving all the guests. So we took off from there. We I went up to flight deck height. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a ridiculous uh, thing that the British Embassy there in Washington arranged as part of the reveal of the Queen Elizabeth 
to the American military, which is, you know, you just couldn't imagine you'd ever, I mean, you'd never bother trying to ask to do that, but we've got asked. And yeah, that's the I flew out to every single shuttle vessel that was stuffed full of admirals and generals that weren't expecting this to happen. So I just literally appeared hovering in front of them with a the backdrop of a three billion pound aircraft carrier, kind of smiling away with my green lid on and then did a lap of their boat and shot off again. And, you know, you couldn't wish for a better advert to the military of, of like, oh, yeah, that turns out to work quite well. So uh, it was slightly embarrassingly for the next two days, all the top brass they were talking about was the crazy Royal Marine in a, in a, um, in a jet suit, not the $100 million F-35 and the $3 billion aircraft carrier. The reason they were actually there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, with that in mind, do you, I mean, I sort of know, you've got quite a good relationship going on with the, especially the Marines, haven't you? Obviously with your background. And, do you think that there's, there's scope for them looking at how, looking at seeing how they can use this, develop it? I don't know. Our, our, you know, our focus really has been to have the humility to recognise that our primary value in life is entertainment. You know, as you've mentioned already, social media wise, it just continues to go crazy and scale that into a race series. And, you know, we can carry on entertaining people, create great digital content. And isn't that weird that we live in a world where that's enough to make a business in parallel? You know, I've always offered to yeah, my old community, you know, the, the Royal Marines and other military links I had, I always said, look, just if nothing else to shake up minds and make people wonder and ponder what else is possible, let us come along. And, and it was um, Colonel um, Tanner down, Mike Tanner down in uh, Limston, who originally kind of kicked this off and said, come down, be a guest of honor at the pass out parade you know, back in Limston. And why don't you bring the jet suit? And then it sort of escalated to eventually be flying bottom field and all sorts of stuff. And that got the ball rolling and people went, Oh my God, actually this, this isn't like fake. This does work. And, you just went around bottom field and half the time it takes, admittedly, I didn't go through the tunnels, but, uh, you know, and it just got the ball rolling. And so we've always had this ethos of just being willing to turn up and have a, have a play of what um, they wanted us to do. And it's kind of escalated. We've done over 12 different exercises now, many of them maritime because we can move people over water and we don't really care if it's water. And yeah, I, yeah. I think with, with the British military and US military, we've done enough now that we do seem to be proving that a sort of hyper mobile ingress and exfil capability is sitting there to for, you know to be had a lot of people say oh but you can't use your hands but then again you can't use your hands um in with a lot of you know parachuting and things like that you realistically can't do much with your hands and actually as you know the whole fire and maneuver ethos is when you're moving you shouldn't be firing anyway right i mean it's not the normal you know it's really gone gone yeah so it should be like you should be only firing from a well well you know from a position of cover of taking well-aimed shots so therefore actually if you think of this in the fire and maneuver ethos perspective this is just allowing those bounds to be in three-dimensional space over minefields and water and obstacles and whatever. We can yeah. stow the engines within a second. You holster them whilst they're idling. And then you can bring to bear a weapon. And we did this with the Austrian SWAT team, of all people. And I provided a roving top cover role with an MP7. And I showed how I could just keep bringing that weapon to bear and keep moving between different top cover positions. Um, so, you know, it, it, especially in a maritime environment, you want to get a bunch of blokes onto an oil rig or a ship. Um, you know, you know better than I do. Uh, you've got two options, you know, a dangling from a rope in a helicopter where you become a very vulnerable target and you can't really go up, back up the rope if it all goes tits up. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you're there when and the helicopter's not going to be keen to come back again. Uh, and the whole, you know, um, uh, maritime boarding thing with the, with the boat and the pole and the hook and, oh my God, I mean, that's a fitness workout if I ever saw one. Whereas yeah, we so can come low over the water, you know, from all the points of the compass and put blokes everywhere you like on a target. You won't hear us until the last second. 
And then if it all yeah. goes tits up or you want to relocate or go away, every man can go independently away again. So, so yeah, I think it's got some real inter interesting potential. There's massive scope, isn't there? But um, do you, oh, we're, oh, sort of at the other end of the spectrum, do you see or do you have an ambition for this to be available? Can it be on the shelf somewhere that where people can buy it at some point? Do you see that as being an option? I mean, that's commercially nice, isn't it? But I don't know. Come as a surprise, we did a launch with Selfridges in London. They reached out a few years ago, a couple of years ago, and said, look, you know, our, our founder of 100 years ago, some maverick Amer American, um, had this ethos of making available things in the store that were never available anywhere else or whatever. And uh, he dismantled the first aircraft that flew the English Channel and put it in the store as a, like, come and see this. This is in the days when department stores were kind of like the amazing new innovation. Uh, maybe not quite so healthy nowadays, but anyway. Um, anyway, uh, bless them. They said, look, come and do a flight outside Selfridges in central London and put one in the store. And, and uh, we had it on sale in the store. We, <laughs> so you could buy it through Selfridges. You still can, I think. Um, we actually have sold Matt. a couple, but which is a bit mad, right? We have actually sold a couple, but um, we're very, we're very sort of particular about this. So we insist people come and train with us first. We get to know them then. Uh, we make sure they're not complete yeah. lunatics. Um, and to be honest, that um, our, you know, most people get most value out of learning to have a go. It's like going and doing a track day in a supercar. You know, you get a lot of value out of that, and then you don't have to worry about the, you know, the, all the hassle of maintaining, insuring, and whatever. Same kind of thing with us. We will build them for people, but only when we know them. And then also, we kind of prefer to keep hold of the equipment um, and make it available whenever yeah. they want anywhere in the world. And then we also keep control of it, and we don't end up with incidents like somebody saw your jet suit flying in front of an aircraft somewhere or whatever we did that just can't happen because we yeah. keep control of them. but yeah we have sold them how much how much are, how much are they a unit so the, the price is a, it's a, it's a hefty one the price we charged for the last two was three hundred and forty thousand pounds um four hundred and forty thousand us dollars and and that's really priced on the basis of you really have to be serious if you want to pay us that money and then be trained and then yeah, receive yeah. that suit Training is a lot cheaper. I mean, it's still expensive. I mean, it starts at about £2,000 for, for a day of experience. And it's more like five grand if you want to properly learn in a day. Um, yeah. but, but we, you know, that's all priced on the basis of competing with our time for doing other things. Um, you know, they're not cheap to build. It's all 3D printed. Though the engines are really expensive as well. And, you know, but from, from a military and search and rescue point of view, I, I envisage us leasing the equipment um, where it's only charged for by the kind of hours of usage and then we maintain it as well and support, you know, provide a support service. Yeah, so it yeah. doesn't need to be anywhere near as expensive. I suppose you must have thought of this, but having having like the Jet Suit Race Series where the, you go around the world different, like, you know, like the Red Bull Air Race, which is really an exhilarating thing to watch. I've, I've been to a few, but I can imagine, I'm, I'm sure you've had that vision, haven't you? And, and, and seeing where that could go as your own sort of race brand or, or, or franchise. I don't know. Yeah, no, spot on. So we were due to launch that in, uh, in March. We had the race, the first race all set up in Bermuda. I'd done a Ted talk and a flight out in Bermuda. There's a really cool film on our YouTube from, from there. It's a beautiful place uh, to fly. Um, and we had a team of seven going out there with some of our clients who'd learned to race with us. Um, and uh, we, we've got a shipping container still sitting out there with all our race gear in it and stuff. Uh, and then COVID came along. We were literally like two weeks away from all getting on a plane. Um, so that's been a bit of a shame, but it, all the plans are there. And you're exactly right. You imagine a Red Bull Air Race, but instead of planes really quite high up and they have to land miles away and you can't really see the pilots. Imagine yeah. seeing guy, guys and girls, athletes, 
you know, from different sports, all racing, probably only 50 yards in front of you, up and down a waterfront, somewhere like Sydney Harbour or wherever, um, you know, all flying thousand horsepower jet suits and every now and then getting it wrong and all the drama and watching them splash down and all the steam and they'll be fine, but you'll create the impression of a lot of drama. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it'd look insane. Yeah. So that's definitely in the plan. I think that, that, that will be something we'll be showcasing before the end of the year as best we can here. Mate, it's, I mean, I'm going to start drawing us to a close because of time, but it's, it, I mean, I could talk about this for, for like forever. It's just like, even, I mean, it, for, for the people that are listening that haven't actually witnessed this for real, it is unbelievable. It is awesome. But what have you got? I mean, you've achieved so much so far, but future ambitions, what are, are there, are there more, is there more stuff, more craziness in the, in the pipeline? I, mean, I, think, I think the pinnacle of our of our kind of achievement in a way will be this race series. I, I when, when you think about what's the point of Formula One or IndyCar or NASCAR, you realise that actually they don't do anything practical. They just entertain, they inspire people, and they leave a trail of interesting technology that gets picked up by more mainstream transport. And actually, what better way of seeing this rapidly evolve, maybe towards something that eventually becomes mainstream, other than having people race them? Um, you know, it's it's like the sort of Supersized version of all the all the meals, all the social media we put out at the moment. You know, many more pilots doing really cool stuff in iconic locations. So I'd love to see that scale. Um, technically wise, you know, I'm super excited about this thing sitting next to me here um, that's going to start yeah. super fast, and you know, I, I, that's going to be amazing. The, the capability we've got coming is massive. And then finally, I would say uh, I mentioned wings a couple of times. Uh, you know, the idea of flying like we do at the moment, but then you, I think you saw me with one of the experimental leg wings when you came to that lake. You know, the idea, yeah, yeah, you know, the idea that you're flying around by just vectoring thrust, basically just throwing thrust downwards, a bit like a Harrier aircraft in the, horror, in the, in the hover. Um, the idea that you throw yeah. that behind you, start propelling yourself forwards and then generate lift with little wings, that's much more efficient. You need much less power. You can go much further, use much less fuel, just like the Harrier. And then when you want to come back into the hover, you just dial the engines back up, fold the wings away and then land on a, you know, palm your hand kind of size. That, that whole thing is still under development. We've got quite yeah. close, but um, I think that's all coming too. Right, okay. Uh, obviously, um, Richard, we, uh, we put it out there that people can fire in questions and the question that I pick out, they get a bottle of Talisker. So um, we've got one question that's come in from uh, all of our followers on Instagram and it's by uh, Non Vanilla Try. I think I've got that right. And hit... The question is, air, sea or land, what is the biggest buzz? You know, wh where do you get uh, well, it? Well, I'd have to say air because we, we fly, uh, but I, then I would make it, the answer more complicated by saying flying over water, so flying over sea, therefore, is probably one of the biggest rushes. Uh, it's just pretty magic because you realise you shouldn't usually be doing that. Um, and and yeah, you can also go really fast and it doesn't matter too much if you had a technical problem. So, yeah, so I, I, air with a pinch of sea. Does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah, because I suppose the sea lulls you into a false sense of security a little bit, doesn't it? Because it's like, oh, it doesn't matter if I crash yeah. on this. It's water. Yeah. <laughs> Unless yes, you're yes, right. it's, it's just like, it is unbelievable. And um, I appreciate your time. I know you're, you're an extremely busy person that likes to tinker around and, and continually improve things. So I really appreciate you coming on. But, mate, it is awesome. Like, what you do is unbelievable. And, and to see it and witness it is great and it'd be great to come down again and, and, and have a look about good stuff thanks guys cheers have a good evening bye bye thanks very much to richard i hope you enjoyed it 
Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you don't already and follow me and the Book of Man for the latest news. Thanks again to Talisker for supporting this podcast and thanks to you all for listening. Take it easy. I'll see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.